Hello, and welcome to Friends Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to become a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change the world. For more information about services and our community, go to friends.church slash Eastvale. Thanks for listening. Hey. Good morning, everybody. Who has decorated their homes already? Oh, man, that's a good percentage. If you have already done so, that's the volunteer group that needs to be here at 1230 to decorate our house, Okay. Um, so hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, my family had the chance to go up to Solvang, California and enjoy a, a beautiful uh, kind of fall seasonal. It was red leaves and orange leaves. It was awesome. Uh, I told you last week we would eat Abelskibers, which are Norwegian pancakes. I did not show you a picture. I want to redeem myself. Here's what they look like in case you're wondering. That's what they look like. They are delicious. I may have had that whole plateful. Uh, that wasn't a, my picture. Uh, but I had a few on Friday and they are awesome. So we got a chance to travel. It was great to be away. And what I learned about myself, and I've been kind of noticing this about myself over the last couple of trips, is that I tend to overpack when I go on trips. Um, there are two types of travelers in the world. There are those who pack light and those who overpack. And I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I'm an overpacker, okay? I have a friend of mine named Skip. He uh, is a missions pastor for a long time. And he said he got so good at traveling, he could go to Africa for two weeks with a school backpack. And I'm envious of a guy like that. Because when I pack, so if you know me for like a month, I only have four, three colors that I wear. Black, gray, and blue, or some color variation of that, okay? Chris is laughing. She knows. My, 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 my wardrobe is pretty simple. And when we pack, I just take the whole thing and I put it in my suitcase. I don't, if I go to Hawaii or the UK or Alaska or Ohio, it doesn't matter. The same suitcase is going with me with the same stuff. And I tend to just throw it all in there, and I think, okay, I'm going to need it. I want to get the most out of the trip, so I'm going to bring everything I normally wear and bring it with me on my little excursion or trip. And then I get on my uh, vacation, and you know the drill, right? You start going through things, and you make a mess of things, and then I end up only wearing about 25% of the things that I brought with me. I just overpack and bring too many things, and there's a mess everywhere, and it's stressful and all of those things, right? We do the same thing when it comes to the holidays, don't we? We want to get so much out of the next five weeks. We will pack our schedules with all the things we think we need to get out of the next five weeks. We feel pressure to get the most out of the holiday season. We fill our schedules up with every white elephant gift party that we don't need to go to. You know, I love those things. They're wonderful. But we go to every party, every Friendsgiving, everything. They're all good things. But we feel the stress of the holiday season. I thought... As worshipers, it would be good, and it would serve us as a church to talk about how to get the most out of the next five weeks as disciples of Jesus. Like, what are the essential things to pack in the next five weeks for us to really get the most out of what it means to worship Jesus between now and the new year? If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Chronicles 16. 1 Chronicles 16. It's a passage that maybe uh, you've never read before. I certainly had never studied it in depth until this past week. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and Austin uh, or Kyle can get one to you. I think this is a weekend to really have your Bible if you don't, and so you can raise your hand. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and I'm going to have us go to a couple of passages, some cross-references, which is kind of fun. If you don't have a Bible, the passage will be on the screen, so that's okay as well, but it is kind of fun to jump around the scriptures um, and in the passage that we're going to read, King David brings the worship of God back to the center of Israel. 
And today we're going to learn and see that when we keep worship front and center in the Christmas season, you and I will get the most out of the Christmas holiday. I want to first show us though how easy it is for us to drift away from worship over the next five weeks. And then I want to answer the question, how do we practically prepare for worship and keep it front and center and not drift? So we pick up the passage in verse 1 of chapter 16, when King David brings the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence and glory uh, and spirit dwelt for them, back to the tent to worship. It says this in verse 1. I'll read it, and then we'll pray and then break it apart. They brought the Ark of God. That is uh, David and his men. They brought the Ark of God. And once again, remember, the Ark of God is where the presence of God dwells, his glory dwells. And they set it inside the tent, that is their worship center that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. Sounds like Israelite uh, able skeevers right there. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to extol, thank, and praise the Lord. That's a great description of worship. Verse 5, Asaph was the chief. That is the chief worship leader. And this is where we get the description of why we have a worship leader every Sunday. Asaph was the worship leader of the time. And he's got his worship team there. I'm not going to read all the names because I will mess up on all of them. But jump down to verse 5. They were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. And Benaniah and Jezael, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. Pray with me. God, thank you for this wonderful passage for us to be centered on why worship is to be the central thing that we do the next five weeks and why worship is the answer to how to get the most out of the next five weeks. Lord, um, I'm so thankful for this church. So thankful for every person here. And we ask God that as we've gathered in your name, um, that you would speak to us individually beyond what I could possibly do and what, beyond what I possibly prepared for and really move in our hearts so that we can adore Jesus Christ this holiday season. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. So if you look at the passage with me in verse 1, David brings the Ark of the Covenant to the tent. And this is called the Davidic tent, the David's tent, David's tabernacle, if you will. It was their worship center. It wasn't the permanent worship center that they would have. That was built 40 years later by David's son Solomon. You, you know that. It was called the Grand Temple, and you can still see parts of it today in Israel. There's the Wailing Wall, and there's the steps that Jesus taught from. It was destroyed in AD 70. But this was their makeshift uh, worship center that David built, and it was a large tent. And in it, he brought the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, worship leader Matt Redman describes the tent in this way, and I want you to listen to it to kind of get a picture of what this must have been like. This wasn't like a, a two-man tent we take on a, camp, a, a camping uh, trip. It was a, a large tent that housed a lot of people, and here's what Matt Redman said. The whole design of this tent was to give some very strong signals to the people as to whom they were worshiping and how they should worship. The white tented walls spoke of God's purity. 
The ornately embroidered wall hanging spoke of the beauty of God. The very layout itself with restricted access into the Holy of Holies once a year for the high priest only spoke of God as a consuming fire. The brazen altar conveyed the essential ingredient of sacrifice and worship, and the bronze lathe told of the need for the people to purify their hearts before approaching. What a picture that must have been. What an amazing tent, a worship center, makeshift worship center that they had. But the most amazing and significant part of it was the Ark of the Covenant. And if we can bring a picture of it, you know, we don't quite know all the exact details of it, but this is kind of what it looked like. And in this golden box was God's very presence. He allowed himself to be contained in it. And obviously, God's presence can't be contained in a box even covered with gold. But it was a representation that God was with his people. It must have been full of wonder and awe to have been in that tent. And it says to us in the passage that they started to to clang cymbals and play these musical instruments. It was a beautiful ceremony they had of worship, and we'll get to what they did in it in a little bit. But Israel wasn't to take the Ark of the Covenant lightly. They weren't to take God's presence with them lightly because it was what distinguished them apart from every other nation. And in Exodus 33, Moses speaks to God, and he says this about God's presence being with them in the ark. If your presence does not go, down, does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know, Moses says, that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And here's what I want you to pay attention to. What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? How, how were people to know that God was with Israel, it was because of the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. It was because of God's presence with his people. That was the distinguishing mark of the people of God. And you would think that because they had God's presence, especially the Ark of the Covenant, that they would cherish it and they would hold dearly to it and they would watch over it and they would keep it in the center of everything they did and they would go to God regularly because they had this physical object with God's presence in it and pray and get get direction But the sad truth is, is that they neglected it. The sad truth is, is that God's people actually forgot that it existed. And we find out some sad truth three chapters earlier. Go to chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles. David takes over as the king. And his very first decision as king is a good one. In verse 3, we read this, uh, chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles. Let us bring the ark of our God, David is speaking, back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The Hebrew word for inquire means neglect. Let us bring it back because we neglected it during the reign of Saul. Saul was in power before David. And during the entire time of King's, uh, King Saul's reign, they neglected God's presence with them. Here they had the Ark of the Covenant in their possession, right? Or they had it, it, was, it was in the land of Israel. And they didn't go after it. They didn't bring it to the center. They didn't worship God. Instead, they relied on their own wisdom and their horses, and their military might to win victories for them. And this was a foolish decision to do, to neglect God's presence, because if you read earlier in First Chronicles, you find out they lost battle after battle, and there was tragedy after tragedy in Saul's life, not just on the battlefield, but Saul goes literally mentally crazy, and he begins to pursue um, false idols and other gods. They were foolish for forgetting that the main focus and the main direction of their life was the presence of God. Now, I want to get to the New Testament for a moment. 
turn with me to First John, or uh, John chapter 1 in the New Testament. John chapter 1. This will be my, uh, my Christmas uh, sermon passage. I, I won't give away everything in it. It's a rich passage, but John 1 verse 14. It's in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel. And in John 1 14, the same words used to describe God's presence in the ark are used to describe God's presence in the person of Jesus. Let me say that again. The same words that are used to describe God's presence in the ark are now used to describe God's presence in Jesus. Look down at verse 14. John writes about Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling means tabernacle. The same word used here for dwelling is the same Hebrew word used in 1 Chronicles 16.1 for tent. God's presence dwelt in the ark, and they were to keep that central for worship. But now what John is saying is that God's presence has come to us in the person of Jesus. God's presence, full presence, is in Jesus. I'm having to hold myself back to tell you what I want to tell you about Christmas time. Because <laughs> I've been spending the last five weeks in this passage, and it is marvelous. But just, just for today, God's glory, his presence, his manifestation of who he is, went from a golden box to a human being, to an infant. And D.A. Carson, the New Testament scholar, says this, the word dwell is the Greek word skiono. In Hebrew, it's the, it's the word shekinah, if you know that word, shekinah glory. It means to pitch a tent. Jesus pitched his tabernacle or lived in his tent among us through his humanity. The term would call to mind the tabernacle where God met Israel before the temple was built. Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of the presence of God among human beings. So church, here's kind of the truth of the morning God wants your worship. And worship is your path this Christmas to wonder. Worship is your path to wonder this Christmas. You know, I think we're all longing for wonder when we think about Christmas time. And every single year we talk about why Christmas is getting earlier and earlier. You know, we, you always hear that, man, Christmas starts so early. It's like the day after Halloween, it begins, you know. And we, we kind of scratch our head and go, well, why does it start so early? There's a phrase to describe why. It's called the Christmas creep. Have you heard this phrase before? It's literally the, the description of why Christmas begins so early. It's called the Christmas creep. And yes, there are cynical motivations by big corporations for our money to get it going earlier, right? But there's also an underlying psychological reason, an emotional reason. The Christmas creep happens. It begins earlier and earlier because we all want to experience the feelings that we have about Christmas time, especially as children. And as children, we often experience wonder at Christmas time. And we want to recapture all those feelings of wonder and goodness and joy that we once had as children. And can I just say it? Wonder is not in the Christmas gifts. We think it might be. Wonder is not in the lights. Watch out for any trash being thrown at me. <laughs> it's not in Michael Blue Blaze's beautiful voice for Christmas on the Christmas CD. Uh, Michael Blue Blay and all those things are wonderful. 
But wonder is not found in them. Those things are just a shadow. True wonder, the wonder that we're longing for, is found in the person of Jesus, where the glory of God manifested perfectly. And so if you want to experience wonder this Christmas, it is always found in worship. It's always found in the worship of Jesus, where God's glory dwells. Yes, enjoy the gifts and the lights and Michael Blue but just know they aren't wonderful. Only Jesus is full of wonder, the wonder that you're longing for. And so there are three ways to keep wonder front and center in our passage. And go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. David, David shows us how to keep wonder and worship at the center of this time uh, and the rest of our, our, our passage. It says this, verses 7 through 12, he keeps wonder and worship central by remembering what God did. He keeps wonder and worship central by remembering what God did. Verse 7, that day David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he's done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. Remember the what? The wonders that he's done, his miracles and the judgments that he has pronounced. The first way that we can keep wonder and worship at the center of the Christmas season is by remembering what God has done this last year. What has God done in your life this past year? Last week we had an incredible time of prayer, and someone uh, texted us and said that they had some stomach pain and some some difficulty in their in their in their hip as well, and there was just a decrease in pain just from that time of prayer. It wasn't fully healed. Um, but a wonderful answer to prayer, right? What has God done in your life this past year? To keep wonder and worship central, we are to remember what God has done. Who won last year's Super Bowl? What did you get for Christmas last year? Where did you go for Thanksgiving two years ago? Our memories are much worse than we think, and we oftentimes forget things that are not that critical. But when we forget what God has done in our life, we tend to repeat the past, and we lose and we forfeit peace and confidence in what God could do in the future. If you want to walk into 2024 with deeper confidence, it's all about remembering what he's done in the past. If you want peace in the future, you remember the peace he provided in the past and so forth. And so today, as part of our Gratitude and Worship Sunday, we wanted to remember some of the things that God has done in our church we wanted to look back at the last three months and just give God thanks. And I have a few testimonies to share and ask Katie to share those um, uh, from what we received from some people in our church. But the first thing I want to share about is how we've seen God work through our value of passionate faith. One of our ministry values here is that we want to be full of passion for Jesus. And if you're visiting, we hope that you'll walk in here and say, those people are, are on fire for Jesus. Those people love Jesus, and, and you can tell that they're friends of Jesus. That's why we call ourselves Friends Church. We want to be close to Jesus. And one of the ways that we have seen passionate faith work out in our church this last year is having 19 people get baptized this fall. And some of you are out there. It was awesome to watch you get baptized at the beach. The beach day was so awesome. We all decided we are going to go to the beach every time if we can do a big baptism there. It was so incredible. And there's one story I want to highlight from that time. 
Uh, it's the story of David and Nana. I don't think they're here today. Uh, I don't see them out there. But uh, David and Nana, I met David at the 99 cent store up the street a year and a half ago. I was handing out flyers to our church right before we opened. And I said, come on by. We're going to be at Silver Lakes. He took a flyer. He said, I need a church. You know, I was pretty naive. I thought I'd see him the next week. I didn't see David for a whole year, okay? I was like, okay, I got a lesson in, in, in inviting people to church. Sometimes it takes longer than you think. So we moved buildings over here, and one Sunday, David and Nana walked through the doors. I was so shocked. I'm like, it's the dude from the 99 cent store. <laughs> he was the only guy who talked to me the whole morning. Everyone else just walked by and said, no, I want to get my, 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 my bananas and my food. David really wanted to know more. And so they came, and they usually sit right in the front row, and they started to encounter Jesus and his presence. They felt your love. They felt your care. And they started to step in. And Nana decided to um, make her, her faith public and get baptized. And she was baptized right here on a Sunday morning. And if you remember that, it was a powerful time in September. And so I'm so proud of David and Nana for taking a step. And they are a highlight for me of this last uh, fall that we want to give glory to. We've also seen God work through the value that we have of authentic community. So my prayer for you all is, as part of this church, that when you come in here, you will be connected to community that loves you, that's authentic and real, where there's care and there's compassion, and that you experience Jesus in that time through God's word. And we have our intro night, which is tomorrow night for the last one in the fall. And if you're around, come, it's great. But we've seen God do great things in our intro night this last fall. And one, uh, one night, we had three couples, uh, three families join us in October. And one couple was Jack and uh, um, uh, Jack and um, Heather, excuse me. Uh, Jack is finishing up his residency at Loma Linda. He's a doctor. Heather works in Irvine in the corporate world. They live in Eastvale. And they came and they moved from out of state to this area. They're from Texas originally. And they got plugged in right away after the intro night. And Katie's going to read what they wrote to us about this church and what God did in them. We joined French Church after recently moving out of state. We were looking for a church that had a strong community as well as looking to meet couples who were pursuing a Christ-centered marriage. Friends has been nothing but a blessing from the Lord since the first moment we stepped in. The Lord has continued to open doors and provide a stronger and more faithful community than we could have ever asked for. We've joined a small group on Thursday nights and truly saw firsthand the Lord gifting us with a community of faithful individuals that immediately started pushing us to go closer to the Lord, both individually and as a couple. This group has encouraged us to regularly dive deeper into scripture and pray together more often. We are so thankful for what the Lord is doing in this church and can't wait to continue to be a part of this amazing community. Some of you, yeah, let's give it up for them, yeah. They go, usually go to 11 o'clock, but some of you are in that group with them. Thank you for loving on them. Thank you that we don't have a church culture where they say, oh, it's a closed group. Can't come in my group. That's just a bunch of trash. I love that some couples like, I want to get involved. Cool, hop on in. And you guys are like, oh, cool, new couple, new person coming in. Another couple, Dietrich and Danny. What's up, Dietrich? My oh, man. You guys came to intro night. I asked you what God's done in your life, and thank you for sending your testimony. And uh, this is what Dietrich had to say um, after joining our men's discipleship group this fall. Yeah. It's been amazing getting reconnected with the church that Danny and I both feel comfortable in and are eager to make relationships. I know that I've grown a lot this fall in my patience and kindness. Going to the men's group was so amazing, and all the men were so welcoming and supportive. I really appreciated everyone being willing to open up and share some of their personal struggles. And I know I can feel the Holy Spirit moving in our family, and I'm excited to see what he has in store for us as we continue to grow in the friends family. Yeah. 
Dietrich, glad that you're here, man. Yeah, it's awesome, bro. Um, another thing to highlight this last year, this last fall, was what we're turning in today, our angel tree and boxes of love ministry. So like last year, we did like 65, 70 boxes. And this year, we did over 110 from my count so far. And that's amazing. And she's not here. She goes to 11 o'clock service. But uh, Chimla Kwandu, if you know Chimla, she's the reason why that ministry is organized and done so well. And so I want to highlight her. Um, but there's two people who have made the Angel Tree partnership happen, and that's Bianca Denton uh, and Sarah Smale. And so thank you, too. If without your ministry, that would not happen. Um, you guys stepped up big and joined us. And so we asked uh, them to write and tell us what God did in that. So Katie, can you read that one? Yeah. Angel Tree has allowed me to be more involved and hands-on within the mission to our community. It is overwhelming how generous our congregation is in wanting to show love to others this holiday season. Because of the hearts in this church, we are able to bless in abundance by providing each family with a $50 supermarket gift card from the church in addition to the gifts from their loved ones who are incarcerated. I'm thankful for Jesus for putting this mission on my heart and showing me his goodness throughout the whole process. Let's give it up for them. Thank you so much for your leadership. It's been awesome. And I know some of you are part of that team, and just so the rest of the congregation knows, after we get those back, Next week, they'll be driving to people's houses and dropping those gifts off personally to them, which is such a cool ministry to do. Um, so thank you for those who are driving to those homes and stepping in people's lives and saying, here's a gift from Jesus to us, to you. Um, we've seen God work in the value of generosity and gratitude. And I want to thank you all for your generosity to make this church what it is. Um, just so you all know, we're $5,000 above budget, which is great at this point in the year. And so thank you for committing to making this church your home and giving to it. Without your generosity, uh, we don't have this building. We don't have our kids' ministry functioning the way it is. And we, we, our kids' ministry has doubled in the last two or three months, which is crazy. Um, and so Kristen should just be giving, getting a lot of praise as well. We're going to get to that in a moment. But thank you for your generosity in making this church what it is. Uh, and there is someone special we want to honor. Um, this past summertime, Kristen Mason, our children's director, went on a maternity leave a little early. Because after VBS, she got pregnant. Or she got pregnant. That happened a while ago. Uh, she, she gave birth. <laughs> happened at a different time. <laughs> Sometimes you just talk a lot up here and you just, you know. Uh, after VBS, uh, she went into labor. And it was a little early, two months early, in fact. And so we kind of scrambled looking for a children's director. And Becca Lind uh, stepped up big. Uh, if you know Becca and Jason, they are an awesome family at our church. And they have four kids of their own. Uh, but they decided to kind of adopt 50 of our kids into their family as well. And Becca, if you have seen her around, has served sacrificially. She's given of herself. I mean, our kids' ministry would not be where it's at without her leadership. And so we wanted to honor her. And Becca, we want to have you come on up. We have a little gift for you. So can we give up for Becca? Thank you, Becca. Thank you for all that you've done. Yeah, you've done so much. And here's a little gift and a card from us. Um, literally, she stepped in for four and a half, five months and really made this place what it is while Kristen was on leave. Um, so thank you. Uh, you have blessed us. We hope that we can be a blessing back to you. And so thank you so much. Okay, let's give it up for her. Thanks, everyone. And then so many other people, uh, Laura and Austin, helped redesign our, our lobby downstairs. Their creativity went into that. Austin and Kyle leading our usher team. John Kirstenpaff, our security team this fall, has been awesome. But then I also want to just talk about our vision and what we've done with that. You know, this last um, a few months, we've really taken a big step in being a church that makes disciples who makes disciples. 
That's what we want to be all about. If you're new, you don't know that, our three-year goal by 2026 is that we would have 10 times more disciple makers than we currently have in our church. We think that's the best contribution to God's kingdom that we can make. And to do that means that we have to empower people to take steps they've never taken before. And we know that it's scary, right? Like, to lead a Bible study can be intimidating. And so we asked people in our discipleship groups this last fall if they never have led a Bible study before to lead one time as a way to grow in becoming a disciple maker. And many of you who did that reported back and said that was the single best thing for my spiritual growth that I've done in a long time. And so I want to just highlight a few names, uh, uh, Donna Bronze, Kurt Lockwood, JD, Joe, Bianca, Aaron Riley, and many more all led groups this time, uh, this fall for the very first time. And so thank you for taking a step into our vision of being a follower of Jesus who makes more followers of Jesus. Um, Aaron Riley wrote us this, and this is the last testimony to give God glory for. Yeah. Bree and I started a women's group this summer that led into our women's discipleship group this fall. Let me just say, God never fails. Even though I was nervous and still feel like an infant in my faith, he has encouraged me to continue to say yes to him. God inspires me to form meaningful relationships and dive deeper into my faith. I love being able to meet with women in our community on Thursday nights and hear different perspectives on the scripture we study. I truly have enjoyed this journey and see the change in myself. My household has a new sense of calm and peace. I know I can continue to trust God to learn and to grow. I feel so blessed for this opportunity and will continue to say yes to our Lord. Awesome. That's good. Thanks, Katie. So, number one, how do we keep wonder and worship central? The first in the pack is remember. Remember what God has done in your life. What has he done? Have you taken time to think about that yet? Have you packed that in the holidays that are coming up? Maybe you're thinking, well, those are great stories. What about me? The story doesn't end, right? What we can do in the new year is going to be great. So the first step is to remember what God's done. Secondly, they revere God in our passage. Look down, verse 28. It says this, uh, verse 28 and verse 30. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world is firmly established. So what does David do? For he remembers what God has done, and then he reveres God and his name. Now, notice the word glory in our passage. Give him glory, do his name. That's a strange word, isn't it? Like, we don't walk around saying glory all the time. We don't use that word all the time in our English language. What does it mean? Well, that word glory means perfection. When we talk about God and his glory, what we mean is that God is perfect in every way. There's no flaw or failure or anything wrong with God. And the only way to really describe God and his glory is to think about Michael Jordan. Because I'm a Michael Jordan fan, I think, you know, and, and I, I loved watching his old, uh, old film. But his jump shot was glorious. You know what I'm talking about? Like elbow, elbow was in, the release was perfect, the fingers were perfectly spread on the ball, the arc would come off, the ball would rotate gloriously, right? Michael Jordan's jump shot was perfect. But we talk about real glory. I'm just kidding. The only person who has the real glory is Jesus. He and he alone is perfect in every way. And so when you say, I want to give glory to God, what you're saying is, I want my life to reflect that God is perfect in every way. When I do well in my work and I want to give God glory, it's saying he's perfect and he's helped me. It didn't have anything to do with me. It's all God and for him. And so one of the ways that we can keep God center and have wonder is to revere who 
God is. The word worship means reverence. And the picture of reverence is to prostrate yourself face down on the ground. And in that position, there is really no entitlement, is there? You're totally face down before God. That's the image of what worship is in the Bible. And we may not do that publicly all the time. You might in some situations, but I do privately sometimes. When I'm really desperate before God, I get on my face. I've done that praying for you at times. And say, God, we have nothing else. We just need you. There's no entitlement in that. It's utter desperation for God. And so when we revere God, we are utterly unentitled to something. See, here's the reality that I know, is entitlement will kill your Christmas. For a season that's all about generosity, somehow entitlement has come in to Christmas. Somehow we've kind of made it about ourselves. But if you want to have wonder, if you want to experience wonder in your life, in your Christmas season, revere God. Come to him without any type of entitlement. If you say, Jesus, I will only worship you if, if I feel something, if you give me a miracle, if I see an answer to prayer, there are conditions in your worship, and that is entitlement, and you will not experience wonder from God. Real wonder comes because we don't have entitlement before him. And so what I want to do just right now, ask Emily to come on up, um, is just, she's in a strum, and I just want to give an individual moment. Had a corporate moment right there with sharing stories. I want to give an individual moment now. This is a little bit more participatory today. To reflect back on what's a quality about God that you're thankful for. What's an attribute of who God is that you are thankful for this last year? Just privately, one minute. And if you struggle with like identifying characteristics of who God is, just think of the three G's of who God is. God's grace, his acceptance of us, his greatness, he can do anything, and his goodness, his love, and his faithfulness. Maybe you just start right there. But as a church, we want to revere God and come to him. And so, God, we just come before you right now as a congregation, as a church, and we recognize we don't bring a whole lot to this relationship. It's all you. And we want to invite the Holy Spirit right now into this moment and ask God that you to fill us with your presence. But Lord, we want to give you worship by revering you. And so church, just for one minute in your own heart, what's one characteristic of God that you can revere God in? that you can ascribe glory to. G.K. Chesterton, the famous British author, said, we do not have a lack of wonders, but we have a lack of wonder. And so would a couple people just right here just be willing to call out and share or just one sentence, one little moment of what you're thankful for, for God, just the characteristic. Would one or two people just share. Just say, hey, I'm thankful for God's faithfulness. Thankful for God's love. What is it? 
I'm thankful for God pushing me to get into the word. I'll repeat them so people can hear. Hmm. God is constant no matter what situation. Thankful for God's grace. His Holy Spirit. God's ever pursuing. What was the one over here? It's true. His provision. Amen to that. Salvation. God, you know our hearts. We want to experience wonder. And it begins by giving and ascribing glory to you first. And so we give you praise in your name. Amen. The last way that we can give wonder or get worship and experience wonder this Christmas is found in verse 34 and 35. He closes with this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Notice in this passage there are no personal pronouns, no I or me. Notice what it says, only us and we and, th- and them. You see, that's what happens when we experience wonder. We are, we are led away from focusing on ourselves and we get caught up into something bigger than ourselves. That's what worship does. It, it, it takes us out of focusing on me and my problems to us and our and them, and it gets us out of our own world and focusing on bigger things. And the bigger things that they focus on is God as a rescuer. It says in verse 35, cry out, save us, God, our Savior. And literally in the Hebrew, the word Savior means rescuer. Save us, God, our rescuer. And one of the ways that we can experience wonder this Christmas is by making a big deal of the rescuer, Jesus. There are people all around us who don't know Jesus this Christmas. There are people right now in your life and my life who Jesus is working on. He's whispering to them, I want to rescue you. I love you. I have wonder for you. Right? He's, he want, he's, he's whispering in their hearts. They don't know him yet, but he's working on them right now. And if they come to Christmas or if they have an encounter with a spirit-filled Christian like y'all, they might say, I'll give Jesus a chance. I'll give this Jesus guy a chance in my life. And so I want to ask you, over the next few weeks, would you begin to pray for one person, invite one person, bring one person to Christmas? Pray for one person, invite one person, and bring one person. Who are those people? You know, the Holy Spirit will show you, that it could be your neighbors. In fact, I just want to lean on that for just a moment. Your neighbors. Your neighbors are so important to God. And it's my belief that God's put you in the neighborhood he's put you simply because he wants you as a spiritual Christian to reach your neighbors and for us to reach them together. And maybe you don't know them, but you know what I know will win people over? Because we've done this in our neighborhood, is bringing some brownies, not cooked by me. Um, bringing some brownies and saying, hey, I know we don't know each other that well, but I want to bring you some brownies. And hey, I don't know if what you're doing for Christmas, but if you need a place to go to for a great Christmas service. Our church will have services on 9, 11, and 3 p.m. We'd love to invite you to come. We'll have some cards in a few weeks for everyone to take, by the way. 
But right now, would you begin to even think about who you could invite? Because we want to tell about the rescue of Jesus and invite them to even consider who Jesus is in their life. One of the ways that we can experience wonder is by making a big deal of the rescuer. So church, three ways to experience wonder this Christmas. Remember what God's done, revere him, and make a big deal of Jesus to people who don't know him yet. I uh, read the story this past week. Picture with me a person racing against time, tirelessly checking off items of an ever-expanding to-do list this Christmas. Anybody in this room have that? The holiday season is in full swing, yet amidst the carols, the lights, and the aroma of good parties, this individual is oblivious or forgetful to the deeper significance of it all. Maybe this person is your neighbor or a relative, or maybe this person could be you this morning. This busy soul reminds us as a reminder that there are some people around who know about the season, but they don't have the wonder of the story of Jesus. And God's put us here in this neighborhood, right here in Norco, to be able to invite people into that. So once again, just repeat myself, God wants our worship, and the way to experience wonder is by worshiping him. And the three ways we can do that is by remembering, by revering, revering, and by making a big deal of God's rescue in our life. Would you pray with me?